What is New Zealand's new climate adaptation plan? And how did climate resolutions fare at the latest shareholder meetings for Citigroup, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Becosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Thursday, April 28th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate events. India and Pakistan are sweltering under intense heat right now into the 110s degrees Fahrenheit. India broke its March record a few weeks ago, and it looks like the two countries might beat their April records as well. India is already the hottest it's been in 122 years for this time of the year, according to the Indian Meteorology Department. The department expects this heat to continue into June. India's average temperature has increased by 0.7 degrees Celsius or 1.26 degrees Fahrenheit from 1901 to 2018. Over in the United States, Southern California declared a water emergency, announcing residents can only water their outdoor plants once a week and will have to restrict other activities like washing their car starting in June. This impacts people in Ventura, Los Angeles, and San Bernardino counties. The snowpack that feeds into this area is currently only 35% compared to average for this time of year. This is the first time Southern California has put together a provision like this. Meanwhile, irrigators near Tongue River and North Platte in Wyoming were notified of possible water restrictions as the rivers remain at low levels. Now for a little climate change research. A new study published in the journal Global Change Biology found that mangrove deforestation in Indonesia between 2009 and 2019 resulted in 10% of forestry emissions during that time, despite only comprising 2.6% of the country's total deforestation. Indonesia holds 24% of the world's mangroves and is overall a huge biodiversity hub. Mangroves provide the coastlines with natural shelter from sea level rise and worsening extreme weather events. Halting mangrove deforestation, the study says, can decrease Indonesia's emissions by 8%. This brings us into some climate victories. New Zealand announced a new plan to help its cities adapt to rising seas, wildfires, flooding, and worsening storms over the next six years. The outline shows a sweeping reform of institutions, councils, and laws to try to stop people from building in disaster-prone areas, as well as preserve cultural sites, improve disaster responses, protect the financial system, and reform key industries such as tourism, fisheries, and farming. According to the country's data, one in seven New Zealanders live in an area at risk of flooding. That's 675,000 people living in $100 billion worth of homes. Another 72,000 are at risk of extreme sea level rise. So the plans propose updating housing requirements and incentives to move away from hazardous places. The plan will be open to public consultation before being finalized by the government. Over in Europe, Germany launched the European Union Research and Development Project called Battery Pass to set up data specifications and technical standards made or placed in service in the EU. The three-year project will provide the 11 consortium partners with $8.78 million from the government to create better transparency within the battery market. The batteries will have to clearly show the amount of embedded CO2 emissions by 2024, compliance with ethical production standards, and a growing amount of recycled content starting in 2027. 
The batteries will also be expected to have a minimum share of rare minerals such as lithium, copper, nickel, and lead in them by 2030. All of this information will be available to anyone using a QR code on each battery. The project is expected to be green-lighted by the European Commission in the next few months. In the U.S., eBay, HP, and 40 other major corporations have joined forces to lobby for a ton of clean energy tax credits from Congress, while Democrats still have the majority. Here's a bit of what they said in a recent letter sent to lawmakers Tuesday. Quote, America urgently needs further investments in its economic infrastructure, with clean energy and advanced manufacturing at its core. While we have built a strong foundation to grow a clean energy economy, uncertainty associated with delay is threatening to undermine our existing U.S. clean energy supply chain and investments. I'll keep you posted if anything comes from this. President Biden reinstated two federal rules that ban inefficient incandescent light bulbs in favor of compact LEDs. This switch will save American households about $3 billion a year and reduce building-associated emissions. Meanwhile, the Department of Energy just backed a $504 million green hydrogen production and storage facility in Utah, which will be the largest in the world once built. Green means the hydrogen is produced using clean energy like wind and solar rather than fossil fuels. It's expected to begin operations in 2025. Now for some climate fails. British Columbia, Canada approved a fossil fuel storage and shipping facility in the North Coast despite First Nations objecting to the project for fear of oil spills. The Ministry of Environment and Climate Change provided the project being conducted by VOPAC Development Canada, Inc., with an environmental assessment certificate to proceed. The storage facility will hold liquefied petroleum gas, methanol, light diesel, and gasoline. The project awaits federal approval. On Tuesday, three U.S. financial giants, Wells Fargo & Co., Bank of America Corporation, and Citigroup, Inc., held their annual shareholder meetings. One point of discussion was resolutions climate groups gave them and three other large banks to provide more detail and commitment to their climate goals. The climate activists want the banks to stop funding a fossil fuel future. 13% of the shareholders at Citigroup and 11% of the shareholders at Wells Fargo and Bank of America voted in support of the resolution, so those banks can continue business as usual. Indigenous leaders in Ecuador and Peru even called on Citigroup to stop backing oil projects in the Amazon rainforest. So maybe that's why the percentage was a teeny bit higher there. Disappointing, yet this was the first time the resolutions were even considered, and enough shareholders voted for the resolutions to put them on the voting block again in 2023, when hopefully there will be even more support. Another way to play the game is for activists to pressure the largest stakeholders of many of these banks to vote for climate action, such as Vanguard, State Street, and BlackRock. The low vote suggests they did not vote in favor of the resolutions this year. Some stakeholders who did vote for it include the New York State Commission Retirement Fund and several New York pension funds. Goldman Sachs Group Inc.'s shareholders vote on a resolution today. J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and Morgan Stanley will host their meetings and resolution votes next month. Over in Switzerland, for an interjection of hopeful news, 
A group of 31 Credit Suisse investors is calling for the Swiss bank to stop financing fossil fuel development and help businesses ship away from a high-carbon economy. They filed their own resolution in March. The group includes Europe's biggest asset manager, Amundi, Aviva Investors, and Legal and General Investment Management. Credit Suisse is Switzerland's second-largest bank. Its shareholders' meeting is tomorrow. And back to the U.S., where the Bureau of Land Management has come up with a creative short-term fix for a declining water level at Lake Powell. It will move 162 billion gallons of water from the Flaming Gorge, which is mostly used for recreation, into the lake. That in itself won't make much of an impact. But then they plan to keep the water in there and only let states have access to the water in Lake Mead. Normally, Lake Powell's water gets added to Lake Mead's water during the summer, so this means the water supply is still going to be very short. So why would states agree to this? Well, the Bureau promised to fudge the numbers to look like they did put water from Lake Powell into Lake Mead so states won't have to issue a Tier 2B water shortage declaration. And communities that rely on Lake Powell for water and power will still have what they need. Clever, but not sustainable, as the drought doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. Also, it would probably be beneficial for them to have that water shortage declaration. In a tragic chemical news headline, over 100 people died and the local environment was destroyed after an illegal oil refinery exploded in South Nigeria. The government estimates that $3 billion of crude oil was stolen from the government last year to get refined in one of these dangerous facilities. Because they're illegal, they have no pollution or safety oversights. Let's end with some U.S. electric vehicle news. I totally missed this one, but apparently last week the Department of Energy announced a new partnership with Ford and General Motors, vehicle and grid charging companies from Mata Energy and Nuve Holding Corporation, and California's biggest utilities and energy regulatory agencies to test and validate the commercial viability of vehicle-to-everything technologies. Vehicle-to-everything or V2X, basically would make electric cars double as battery storage containers when they're plugged into the grid, hypothetically allowing for more grid flexibility and resiliency as we move towards clean energy sources. The effort includes commitments from electrician unions and contractors to train workers to install V2X systems and support from the DOE National Labs to test out the technology. Electric vehicles have the opportunity to cut down U.S. transportation emissions by a lot, but it depends on which way our policies go. A new study by the Global Advisory and Digital Services provider ICF shows that the adoption of electric vehicles has to go in tandem with decarbonizing our energy sector, or it won't make as much of an impact. The current rate of EV adoption is not on par with meeting the U.S.'s goal of reaching net zero by 2050. At this rate, current policies for both the transportation and energy sectors will only yield a 27% decline in transportation emissions by 2050. Whereas having 100% electric vehicles on the road by 2050 with the energy sector net zero by 2050, it would drop transportation emissions by two-thirds. Having 100% EVs by 2050 and 100% clean energy grid by 2035 would drop transportation emissions by 82%. 
This part is not in the report, but mass adoption of public transportation and e-bikes would probably drop emissions more and faster. Just saying. And that was your climate news for Thursday, April 28th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Beckosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.